You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you, youth band. Really appreciate you guys. Can we thank them once again for their hard work? And <clears throat> For those of you who have been... Uh... And following along, we are in a series in the book of Exodus, and so we're going to continue on. If you have your Bibles, please open Exodus chapter 6. We've made it to chapter 6 already. That's not too bad, right? Moving along at a, at a good pace, but hopefully we're gleaning, we're digging out some really good truths, some things that have been helpful for us um, as God's people. The one thing that we've been seeing, hopefully highlighting as we go through, and that you hopefully have been seeing as you've been reading along, is that God cares about his name, that God wants to be known. He wants to be known for who he really is. And so one of the, some of the language we see is that I'm going to do these things so that, so that they know that I am the Lord, so that Israel, his people, so that they know who he is, Right, they're they're really being introduced to him in a lot of ways. For the first, we saw that holy handshake, the 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 burning bush, the theophany, that introduction to Moses, and who are you, Lord? Right, and and, and Pharaoh is asking the same, who's the Lord? I don't know who he is, and so God's going to show himself. He's going to show who he is. They're going to know who he is, both Israel and both Egypt, God's enemies. So his name is important, and we've talked about this. We looked at the great I am, his pers- the personal name of God, that God just is, that he's self-existent, he is self-sufficient, right? He is eternal, he has no beginning, he has no end. He is other, he is holy, he is perfect in every way. And all of his attributes coming together, manifested in his actions, bring him glory. That is the glory of the Lord. All of his moral perfections, all the things that make God who he is, his character, his worth, all of his attributes, as they are displayed, put on display for us in this story, they bring him glory. He's, he's concerned about that. He wants that glory because he deserves it. Hopefully you're getting a better picture of who this, who this God is, who our God is, the same God that we serve today. And I've read through this a couple of weeks now, and I'm going to continue to do it as appropriate, because God wants us to know who he is. And so in Isaiah 46, I'll just read a couple, um, a couple sections here about the idols of Babylon versus the one true God. God says, to whom will you liken me? Isaiah 46, verse 5. To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. Then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it in its place, and it stands there. It cannot move from its place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. 
declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times, things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. This is the God. This is the great I am. This is Yahweh, the God Almighty. He's introducing himself. He wants us to know him. And why is that so important? And, and why has God spent so much time revealing himself to us in his word? Because if, if he doesn't reveal himself, and if we don't know the God who is in the scriptures, in the Bible, the God of the Exodus, the God of the New Testament, the God that, that we know as we, as we worship our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we don't understand that, then we make up our own God. We will always do that. We will make God in our own image. We'll, we'll go to the store. We'll buy some supplies. Right? We'll put popsicle sticks together, and we'll make this little thing, and we'll put it on the shelf, and we'll talk to it, and we'll make it dance around a little bit, right? And, and we'll, we'll, we'll cry out to it, and we'll, right? But it's, it's, it seems ridiculous, but that's what we do. Whether it's relationships in our life that become idols, they become the people we count on, that we rely on, they become our saviors, and if they don't meet our standards or our needs, then they disappoint us, and we move on to the next one. It's our jobs, it's our vocations, they become all-consuming, all they become our, our focus, our attention. We, we give them all of our affection, our toys, our entertainment, our recreation, our status, our titles. It's all idolatry. And if we're not careful, if we don't know who this God is, we're going to turn to everything else because he won't satisfy because he's, he's, he's not really doing much, right? Who is this God? That's what Pharaoh asked. We shouldn't be asking that. We should know who he is. And if we know who he is, we can't help but bow down and worship him. He's amazing. He is holy. He is other. And everything he does, all the actions he takes, all the, all the, all the time that he allows to pass, that we think he's late or he's not going to show up, everything that he does, it's holy. It's perfect. All the decisions he makes, the justice, the judgments that he's about to bring on Egypt— they're holy judgments. They're perfect. He inhabits eternity. The other one I've been reading is from Isaiah 57. Real quick, verse 15. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and revive the heart of the contrite. This is the God that we serve. He is high and lifted up. He inhabits eternity. He's the Holy One. And yet he chooses to dwell with us, his people. He, he made a way for us to be a sinful man with a holy God. That's through the person of Jesus Christ reconciling us. We were once enemies of God. But through the blood of Christ, we've been forgiven. And God has brought us into relationship with him and eternity with him. This is the God that we're getting to know here in the Old Testament. It's the same God that we serve. This is the God that Israel is, is getting to know. This is the God that Egypt is hearing about, and they're going to know very soon. This is our perfect, holy God. And so hopefully you're seeing that. The God wants to be known. His name deserves to be known. He wants to be known throughout all generations. That's why he shared his personal name with his people. And so today, as we, as we look at chapter 6 and into 7 a little bit, the theme here or the title is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That he wants, to, he wants us to know that only he can save. We can't save ourselves. Only God can do that work. So the, the first point, we're, we're going to read through 
I've been teetering how much we read here, but we're going to read through um, the first part of chapter 6 together. And I'm going to start with uh, the end of chapter 5 and verse 22. This is kind of where we left off, as you know, in the story. Um, God calls Moses. It's time. The time has, has come. God heard the cries of his people. He remembered. He sees them. He knows them. He knows what's, what he needs to do. And so he calls a deliverer. He calls Moses. We went through his backstory and how he kind of got on the scene. Moses complained, gave all of his excuses. They didn't work, right? Even as God capitulated and had his grace and allowed Aaron to come in and speak for Moses, he didn't let Moses off the hook. Moses still had to serve as his prophet, as his man, as his deliverer. Right? And, so, and so they move into, the, into, uh, into, into place on, on the stage. They talk to the elders. They talk to Israel. They believe them. They, they did this, the miracles in the sight of the people. So Israel believes. The people believe. They bowed down. They worshiped. This is a good start. Right? Everyone's excited. This is a great start to the ministry, to the, to the work God is doing. So they believed. So then Aaron and Moses go to Pharaoh and they say, well, this should be easy. It was easy with them. This, this should be a walk in the park, right? Even though God told Moses, Pharaoh's not going to listen to you. And he goes and, asks, and tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, I don't know who the Lord is. And moreover, I'm not going to let you go. And he didn't even give a, a general request of, of slaves to go worship their God in, in the desert for, for three days. That was not an unreasonable request at that time. He says no. And in fact, he created more problems, created persecution. Now, as a result, I'm going to punish all of you people because you're lazy. You're focused on this God who doesn't exist. Or if he does exist, I don't care about him. I want you to focus on me. I'm God. I'm Pharaoh. I'm the king. And so you're too lazy, you're too idle, you've got too much time on your hands. So all of the hardship and all of the slavery and the bitter service and making bricks and building our little kingdom here, we're going to make this worse on you. So you have to still make the same amount of bricks, but you have to find your own straw, find your own raw material. And it was impossible. They couldn't do that. So the taskmasters, they, they beat the, the Hebrew foreman. And the Hebrew foreman, what do they do? Do, they, do the Hebrews cry out to God again? No, they start crying out to Pharaoh. They go to him, complaining, and he just yells at them and says, you're just idle. Get back to work. Get back to your burdens. And then they yell at Moses and Aaron, right? Look what you guys have done. All you've done is kill us now. Your words mean nothing. And so Moses, at least he turns back to the Lord, and we see in verse 22 at the end of chapter 5, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, why have you done this evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And we talked last week about how when God exerts himself, when he starts to move, there's great opposition. There is a spiritual realm taking place. Satan is real. We don't focus on him, but we are not ignorant of him. We are to resist him. We are to flee from him. We are, right, we are to put on the full armor of God so we might stand and withstand within these evil days. So we've, we talked about how that's, um, it's, it's common to see when we begin to step out in faith and obedience to the Lord, we get great opposition. Things start falling apart, right? Things, more strife in the home, problems at work, car trouble, every type of trouble you can think of starts coming your way. Why? To discourage, to dissuade us from being God's people and from doing God's work. And we are called to what then? Persevere, to pray, to ask God for strength, to rely on him. Because if we can do it on our own, then why do we need him? Right? 
So God asks us to step out. He makes it, he allows it to be very difficult for us so that we rely on him to do the work he's called us to do. And then who receives the glory for that? He does. Is he worthy of that glory? Yes. Is that unfair? No. Because <laughs> God's perfect. And so we see this great struggle come upon the people. And we don't understand why there's mystery involved. God allowed it to take place. And Moses is complaint, and you have not delivered your people at all. Lord, you've been talking about this. You set the stage. We've been, we've been talking about this. Right? They've been hearing about this for generations, for 400 years. You know, back in Genesis 12 and in 15 and 22, God made his promises to Abraham and then to Isaac and then to Jacob. And they, they've been talking about it. Their, 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 their fathers before them, their grand, they've all been talking about this great God and this great work he's going to do and how he's going to rescue them and take them to this promised land. And he's going to make them a people and he's going to be their God. And they're, they're waiting for this. And now they hear that this is the time and they bow and worship and then it gets worse. And they wonder, well, who is this God? He talks a lot. But where are the actions, right? And then we see God respond to Moses. So let's read the first part of chapter 6 together. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord... I did not make known myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land to which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenants. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. We see that whole section is, is bookended, right? Capstoned and with, with I am the Lord and I am the Lord. His name is the reply. That should be enough. And he restated his promises and he showed Moses what he is going to do. And then Moses spoke thus to the people in verse 9 of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in and tell the, king of the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I, have, I am of uncircumcised lips." But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. And so the, the first point from this section, really the main point, is that salvation belongs to the Lord, but also success belongs to the Lord. Success in ministry. Salvation and success belong to God. Remember, Moses didn't want to do this in the first place. I'm not qualified. I can't speak well. Um, I'm not going to be your man. I just, I'm, he went through all his excuses. God was gracious and answered all of them. Who made man's mouth? I will give you words to speak. Just say the words that I give you. That's all. Just go and do what I ask. Finally, Moses says, 
send somebody else, right? He went from, from here I am, Lord, to who I am, Lord, to please send someone else, Lord. That was the progression, and we, we can understand that. So he says, Lord, send someone else, and that's when he incurred the, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and God gave him Aaron to help, but Moses was not off the hook. He was to go and do what the Lord asked him to do. And so Moses did, and we see that he did a good job. He went and he spoke the words of God. He said exactly what God told him to say. Thus says the Lord. But then Pharaoh came back and says, thus says Pharaoh, right? Pharaoh's, I'm the king. This is going to be a battle. You're not going to win because he's in charge. So Moses comes back, and everyone's mad at him, and everyone's yelling at him. And this is good training for the wilderness as well, as we know. But everyone's not happy with him, and so he turns back to the Lord. Why did you even send me, Lord? See, you, you picked the wrong person. You made, you made a bad decision. I'm of uncircumcised list. I'm uninitiated. I falter. I can't speak well, even though he has Aaron to do that now. Right? He just doesn't feel qualified. He feels like he failed. He didn't fail at all. He was successful because he went and did what God asked him to do. Right? What, was, what was his task as a prophet? Go and speak the words of God to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh will not let you go. That's, that's what happened. It's successful, right? The ministry has been successful. He feels like a failure. He looks upon himself and feels like, well, it didn't work. As if the outcome was in his hands. And God had to teach him that he was the one that was going to do this all along. Not Moses. What if Moses succeeded? What if he went up to Pharaoh and knocked on the door and, and Pharaoh can, wow, you guys are impressive. I like the beard. It looks very regal. And there's two of you, so that must mean there's something going on. And, and, he, and he speaks, wow, you don't speak very well, but your words or something's going on. And you have a staff, and that looks pretty important. I don't know why you have that, but, but I'm, I'm intimidated by you. Sure, go ahead, take the people. Take, I was thinking of downsizing anyway, right? Just go ahead and take them. Who receives the glory for that? Right? Then, then it's Pharaoh's decision, and he receives credit. Then it's Moses' work, and he receives credit, or Aaron's work, or the people maybe think they've done something. I don't know. God doesn't. And God cares about his glory. And also, God cares about um, all of his attributes kind of coming together in his glory. He cares about the goodness that he portrays to his people, about loving them, having mercy, having grace. He wants to display all those things as he saves his people. He wants to redeem and, and protect them and be, his, be their God. He also cares about his justice, his righteousness. And so God's salvation and God's judgment are all working together here. And they will be on display and they will know who he is. He wants to be known. He deserves to be known. Everyone here is created by this God. And so it was not a failure. It was actually a successful endeavor. And so success in the Christian life and in Christian ministry is all about faithfulness, right? You've heard this before, I know. This is just, this ministry of preaching is a reminding ministry of things that we should know. Success in, in Christian life and in ministry is, is found in faithfulness, not necessarily the outcomes. Otherwise, Jesus would have been a pretty big failure, right? He didn't have a very good church growth model. By walking around, by um, not getting along with all the authorities and the religious elite, by speaking truth to everybody, 
right? When someone asked him a question, he turned around, he spoke truth to them by giving them a standard of following him that was costly, and so they would turn around and walk away. Going to the grave, betrayed by his friends, abandoned. It doesn't seem like a very productive, fruitful ministry, but we know the opposite, right? Why was his ministry successful? Because he obeyed the Father. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. He only said what the Father told him to say. He only went where the Father told him to go. That's success. I was, uh, <clears throat> as a kid growing up in Pennsylvania, we were allowed to do fireworks pretty much 24-7 there because it's wet and green and there's never any fires. So, um, so we would... Uh, we would get fireworks. We'd have to cross the Ohio border and get the good stuff, right, and bring it back and all this contraband. And we would, we would, we had a little lake cottage. And when I was old enough, when I was finally old enough to be the lighter of the fuses, that was a big deal. That was a big day, right? So I, I got the, got the matches at the time or the lighter or whatever it was. And, and we'd have what the, 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 the bottle rockets and be firing. Those are classics. And, we get the, the little dumb ones out of the way, the little snakes and the other stuff. That was like a precursor. That's just warm up, right? And then you get the, the good stuff, the Roman candles. And uh, we, would, we would do the, the cherry bombs, the M80s, and put them in the, the soda cans and send them down the stream. And that, that, would, that was awesome. Um, I have vivid memories of things. Um, but it was, it was also a bit nerve-wracking. There was a bit of a, there was a, there was healthy fear of watching previous uncles and other things blow fingers off or things happen. So you know there's potential for danger, but you want to get in there anyway. You want to get in the action and say, Mike, it's your turn. So we'd set up the platform and everyone would back far away and night would fall and we'd be done with the sparklers and other stuff. And then it's my turn and I'd set up the first one and you'd light it, right? And then you'd back off. So, and then this thing would just go crazy and it would blow up and lights, people would clap and they would cheer and go to the next one, right? And then there'd be awkward silence while you're trying to get the lighter going and all that stuff. But, but they're cheering for the fireworks. Those, that's what, that's what they're, we're there to see. I'm just the lighter. I stepped into my role. I lit the fuse, but after I light the fuse, it's out of my control, right? It's, it's whatever the manufacturer has packed into that thing is what we're going to see. And what people are, are looking at and what they're, what they're cheering for, what they want more of, are the lights, are the bangs, are the, the explosions, right? They're not cheering for me for lighting the fuse. If, I was lucky if I got a, hey, good job afterwards and go clean it up now, right? That type of thing. But otherwise, it wasn't about me. Now, if I went up and lit the fuse, which happened on occasion, lit the fuse, you back off, you're ready, you're waiting, you're anticipating, and then what happens? Just, right? Nothing. And now you spend a half hour playing the game of, is it going to go off, right? And, and you have to protect your family and then kick it over and then it starts to, like, it's facing the wrong way and then everyone starts yelling at you and lots of memories floating back at the, at the same time. But at that point, no one blamed me. No one, when I lit the fuse, I did my job and I backed away. No one blamed me that it didn't work, that there was a, there was a dud, right? And so I go to the next one and, and move, move on. I think in the Christian life, when it comes to Christian ministry, and, and, and in Moses' case, there's an expectation of fruitfulness. There's an expectation of, Lord, I'm going to be faithful. I'm stepping out in faith. I'm sacrificing something. I'm uncomfortable here. You need to show up and, and do this. And if he doesn't do it the way that we think or in the timing that we think should happen, then we think, well, it's, this is fruitless. This isn't working. I'm a failure. Something's wrong with me. And we know we have an enemy behind the scenes whispering in our ear, see, I told you you couldn't do it. 
I told you you should just let somebody else do it, right? And that's not, that's not the case. When we're faithful, we are successful. When we step forward and do what we're asked to do, we're successful. If you're a greeter at the door and you, I don't know what we're doing these days. I know we're not handshaking. So if you're foot doing whatever bumps and you're, you're saying hi to someone and someone doesn't say hi back and their head's down, you haven't failed. It's not because you're a terrible greeter. Right? If you walk up to someone and say, you know, I see you're having a bad day and I, I know, I know you've been struggling lately and I just want to share some hope with you. And I know you don't believe in God. You've shared that with me before, but, but I do. And I have peace with him through Jesus Christ. And I want to share what, what this, this good news about Christ is. And you maybe have heard it. Maybe you've had a bad experience with it. Maybe you've been to church and it just wasn't for you at the time. But, but you, you obviously need help. And we can't save ourselves. So let me tell you about Jesus. And, and maybe they say, yeah, let me, I'd like to hear. I'd like you to pray for me. I'd, and maybe someday they, they accept Christ. Maybe you're just the one who plants the seed. You sow the seed. Someone else reaps the harvest. We don't know. That's not our job. And maybe they look at you in the face and say, don't ever talk to me again. I never want to speak about Jesus' name ever again. You have not failed. You have been successful. You have glorified your Father by sharing the name of Christ with someone who needs it. Success is found in our faithfulness. Moses was faithful. He did the right thing. And the outcome was what God said it was going to be. And God knew and God expected rejection. And then God gave his answer to Moses. And we see all of these I statements in this passage. Next time you read this, just look through how many there are. God says in verse, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham. I established the covenant. I have heard the groaning. I have remembered my covenant. I will bring you out from under the burdens. I will deliver. I will redeem. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. You shall know. What's, what's the job of Israel? What is our job? To do all the work? To save ourselves? To save others? No. Our job is to know who he is. To obey him, to know him, to worship him. That's our job. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham. God swore this by himself. He did it. I will give it to you. I am the Lord. And so we see that salvation and success and anything belongs to the Lord. And in some divine mystery, he chooses to use us. He chooses to use our frailty, our limitations for our good, for the blessing of our life, but ultimately for his glory. That's a good thing. The problem with us not wanting to give God glory is because we don't really know who he is. We need to get to know who, who he is, the God of the Bible. Because if we get to know him, if we're reading our scriptures, if we're reading the word of God, we're studying it together, we're talking about him, we're stepping out in faith because of what he's asked us to do, we see him move, we see him do things, we get to know him, then we have no problem worshiping him. We have no problem giving him glory and, and not receiving it ourselves. And God wants the glory, and he's doing this amazing work. There's two acts taking place at once, two things taking place at once that I mentioned. And there was one commentator that gave me this word picture, and I just thought it was really helpful. 
because we, we hear the mighty hand of God, the strong hand. The hand of God is moving, his outstretched arm. He keeps using this imagery for us. And so we see two sides of God's hand kind of working in tandem. He is, he is backhanding, he is punishing, he is judging the Egyptians for their evil and Pharaoh for his evil, for his wickedness, for his rebellion. We keep seeing this, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. And we're going to talk about that as we get into the plagues coming up here that Pharaoh hardens his own heart, that Pharaoh's heart is hardened by circumstances, and that God is actually hardening Pharaoh's heart as well. And we'll talk about what that looks like. But ultimately, this is a right and fair judgment by a holy, perfect God. And in one motion, he is, he is judging Egypt, and in the next motion, with his palm, he is, he is protecting, saving, delivering, redeeming his people for himself. This is, this is who our God is. He doesn't apologize for it, and neither should we. If we get to know him, he gives us understanding and wisdom. Even, even as we don't understand completely, God is gracious if we truly seek him. So Moses' question, you have not delivered at all. God said, well, here we go, right? I'm going to do it. I've been talking about it, and now is the time. And God's never late, right? That's the, the problem that we get into is God's never late. But, but we have no patience for anything. When, when a child asks the father, if a, you know, my, my boys were younger and maybe even today, when they ask, hey, can I do this? Can I have this? And I say, yes, there's a great victory there. There's like, wow, dad said yes, right? Yes. And then they're like, okay. I'm like, but not right now, Right? tomorrow or maybe for your birthday, then that's just, the yes means nothing then, right? The action is what counts. We want that right now. We are an impatient people. They were worshiping. They were bowing their heads. They believed that God was going to move and act on their behalf, and yet it didn't happen like that. So now they're back to grumbling and accusing and their broken spirit because of their harsh slavery. And so God is about to move. And so the second section here, we see a genealogy and then moving into Moses and Aaron talking to Pharaoh again. So the second section, we look at God's call, his command, and that he always comes through. God calls, he commands, and he always comes through. So we're going to read through this. And when you read a genealogy, you just got to start going. Just go for it, right? Just let the words roll off your tongue and do the best you can with it. There's, there's no shame there. <laughs> we're not going to do a deep dive today, but we'll talk about this in a minute. Uh, chapter 6, verse 14. So he's, remember in verse 13, he spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them this charge, go talk to Israel, tell them this, go talk to Pharaoh, tell him this. And then we have this little diversion. These are the heads of their fathers' houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanak, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the sons of Levi, according to their generations, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei, by their clans, the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uzil. And I like to think that his brothers called him Uzi, because I think that would be an awesome name, right? I'm just going to call him Uzi from now on. The years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. 
Amram took his wife, Jochebed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses. The years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nebfeg, and Zikri. The sons of Uzi, Mishael, Elazphan, that was a tough one, um, Sithri. Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Amimadab, and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. The sons of Korah, Asir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korhites. Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phinehas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? So we'll stop there for a second. Remember that God called Moses, chose Moses, called him. Moses didn't want all of the work, so he brought Aaron along. And so this little diversion here, we already know a bit about Moses. We've seen his kind of his his origin story, if you will. We've seen his, his birth story and his family a little bit. We know that he married Zipporah. We know that he has son Gershon. And we, we know a little bit about his life and where he came from. This just solidifies it for God's people and for us. And we, you know that we went through a genealogy in Genesis when we were studying the life of Joseph and um, how fun that was and how much coffee you needed to get through. But, but ultimately, um, we don't want to just skip over these because they're instructive for us, right? This is still God's word. It's good for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. And so what do we learn from this genealogy particularly? Why is it here? Why is it in this place? Why is it not at the beginning in chapter 1? Well, he's about to send Moses and Aaron in. Now the work's going to actually take place. And he wants to make sure that his ambassadors, those who are representing him, his prophets, that they're properly credentialed, right? And so this is here to help us understand that these men are actually Hebrews. Remember, Moses was, was a Hebrew, but he was raised in the Egyptian court, and then he was exiled in Midian for, for 40 years. And, and Aaron, his brother, they want to, there's an assurance that this Aaron and Moses, this Moses and Aaron, right, These are the ones that are going. These belong to God's people. These are part of God's promise. They belong to the, to the tribe of, of the Levites. They belong to the house of Levi. That's why the genealogy starts with Reuben and it stops with the third son, with Levi, and then goes from Levi's lineage. It doesn't go through all 12 sons. Why? Because it's not about them. It's purposeful. It's specific. And even as we get through this, we see at the end, it's really about Aaron more than anything because Aaron's, um, Mother is referenced, but also Aaron's wife. And later on, they play a big role in the, in the, the people of Israel and in the nation of Israel, right? If you look in Numbers chapter 1 or Numbers chapter 3, I know that's always on your, your to-go chapters, right? Your to-go book on for morning devotions, Numbers. But if you go there and look at Numbers chapter 1, it talks about the Levites. And if you look at Numbers chapter 3, it starts to talk. You'll see some very familiar names here. You'll see the sons of Levi, their clans being given 
responsibilities over the tabernacle, over the tent of meeting. They're, they're given the, the priesthood ultimately. They are to guard, they are to steward. There's, there's a role for them to play. These, these are God's people. This is God's family. This is God's family tree, so it's important. If you were to look at a, at a genealogy of your own family, and you see, oh yeah, that's my Uncle Jack and my Aunt Jane, and that's Brian and Jason and Jerry. Those are my cousins, and oh, I remember those guys, and I remember, right? It would, it would just, it would, you'd have a memory of them because you know them. You've heard about them. And so, Israel, this is God's faith. They know who these people are. And this is important for historical, kind of biblical reference. Um, it gives credentials to these men as they go out and speak for God. The other thing that it does, that if you notice, there's only three numbers given. The ages of Levi, the ages of Kohath, and the ages of Amram, which is Moses and Aaron's father, right? And if you add those up, which I actually did, it comes out to just over 400 years, 407 years. And if you remember that Levi came into Egypt from Hebron, right? And then they were in captivity for 400 years. That was God's pro- that, that was good. what God told them this was going to happen back in Genesis 15. Here is the promise to you, Abraham, and for your, and for your people. This is, this is the, the promise I give you. And part of that promise is affliction. It's 400 years in captivity, but I will rescue you and I will bring judgment. And this is the time. And so this was also to, to confirm the timeline that God is not late. He's right on time. He's exactly his calendar. The notifications went off and God's like, yep. That's right, it's 400, right? And he knows he needs the, needs the work now. So he's not late. There's nothing about that. So God is confirming his, his people. He's calling his chosen servants, and he's confirming the time. And so this genealogy teaches us that, and it confirms Aaron and Moses. This, these are the Aaron and Moses that are bringing my people out of Egypt. And so... We have that diversion, and then it's almost like just going back, oh, where did we leave off? Oh, yeah, Moses. Behold, I have uncircumcised lips, right? He's, he's talking about these, these men, showing them their credentials, that they are Hebrews, they are called by him, God is on time, he's ready to go, and we're back to Moses. Well, I can't do it. And God's like, well, you're right. So then God commands them. He calls them, he commands them. It says in chapter 7, And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. As we pause for a second, just remember, we, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago. God gives us the words to speak. God's promises, his words, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it needs to be in us. We need to read, we need to study, meditate, understand. But ultimately, we're not making up words. We're not making up good news. We're not trying to convince someone with, with the eloquence of our speech. And, and you, we just need to share what God says. And God takes the rest. It is the power of his word that brings life. And God says in verse 3, but I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So here we go again. Moses, it wasn't a failure. You're going to go back and tell him this again, and I'm going to harden his heart, and he's not going to let you go. And that's success. Just be faithful. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall what? 
They shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. This is God's charge. He doesn't want any more excuses. Go and tell them what I'm telling you. Moses, you will be like God to Pharaoh in that I will give you the words to speak. You will tell them to Aaron. Aaron will be like your prophet. He will speak them. And Pharaoh would understand this. Being a king himself, if he has a decree, an edict, if he wants to say something to someone, tell he would what he would send someone else out to do it, right? He wouldn't personally show up. He would have distance between him and him and, and whoever he's talking to. He would have a representative. He would have a pseudo-prophet, if you will, to go out and speak his words to others. And that, that, that representative, that prophet, is to speak the words of God, not their own words. They're not to build their own little mini-kingdoms. They're, they're to proclaim God's kingdom, right? Or whatever the leader, the, the king of Egypt. They're, they're, they're to tell people exactly what the king of Egypt told them to say. That's it. We don't have permission to just go off script here. In the same way, we are ambassadors of Christ. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Remember, we talked about that, the ministry of bringing us back to God. We were hostile toward God. We were enemies of God. We were idolatrous. We, We hated him. And God, through his son Jesus, reconciled us to himself. He brought peace, brought forgiveness. We have his Holy Spirit. We have life with him. Therefore, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is how much God loves us. He sent his only son to become sin who knew no sin, to die on a cross to be buried, and on the third day God rose him again. That is the good news. That's the gospel. That, that is what we, we see in the scriptures. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That's the promise of God. And we've already seen God make promises, and God is going to fulfill those promises. We will be saved. We're saved if we are reconciled to God through Christ. And now we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And we are not to make up the words. We're not to make up our own gospel. That is heresy. That is false teaching. That's what, that's what many other, we, we see this in our age and even in the age of uh, the New Testament church and Paul talking to Timothy and warning him about the false teachers out there who will they'll have just enough of truth in there but then twist it and add their own things to it. We see the Judaizers, those who were Jews coming into the church saying, yeah, your Jesus is great, and yes, I'm sure he can save you, but you also need to follow the law. You, need to be, you still need to be Jews. You still need to observe all the things that God told us in the Old Testament. And that wasn't true. So we see this happening all the time. This is why we have to know who God is. And we are ambassadors for Christ, meaning we represent him. And so we, we want to represent our king well. And this is not a... This is not a punch-in and punch-out type of, type of job. We have ambassadors in this country. The president will, um, 
he'll uh, appoint ambassadors to various countries and and they will go and they will represent the United States of America. They will represent the president, his administration. They will say only what they're supposed to say. They will na- not make up their own legislation. They will not make up their own rules and their own diplomacy. They will only, they will only speak what they've been given to speak. Right? If they don't, then they're not true ambassadors. They're their own king. They're their own mini king or queen trying to make their own little kingdom. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent him. And so every interaction we have, we need to ask ourselves, how can I best represent my king today? How can I best represent my king with this person? What are the words God would want me to say to them? How should I act? Which, how should I serve? So that when they see our actions, they hear our words, they know that we belong to Jesus Christ, that there's something different. And so God gave them the command, and thankfully Moses and Aaron, they did, they did so. Verse 6, they did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. That's an encouragement to all of us that there is no retirement in the ambassadorship of Christianity. We do not take a break and sit back and decide, well, my time is done. When God calls us, <laughs> it's a lifetime appointment, right? And then we see God coming through. He calls, he commands, and then God always comes through. God always comes through. As we finish up here, let's look at this last section. And next week, uh, Scott Barbie is going to introduce and start talking about the plagues and and walk us through the first plague, the actual judgments. This This is actually happening now, right? There's actually, the action is taking place. And so we've seen from the beginning, and I was, thinking through and likening it to just the patience that it takes to wait for something like this. And if you're a movie buff, if you enjoy movies and you enjoy a certain series of movies and, and you know the next one's coming out and years earlier they, they do a press release and they say, here's the writer, the director, the potential plot, and here's the lead characters. And so you're excited about that and then you got to wait forever, right? And you, occasionally you get little reminders, little stills from on set and here's what's happening and whatever. And then you get the, finally you get the teaser trailers and then you get the theatrical trailer release and when you have to watch an hour and a half of, when we used to go to movies, we don't do that anymore, but when we used to go to movies, you used to, you'd wait forever until the final movie, until the movie started because you're watching all the previews. And, but if it's one you liked, you're watching it, you're kind of soaking it in and you're waiting for it and then you got to wait another how many months. And then when the movie comes, you finally, you finally get to see this thing that you've been waiting about, anticipating for so long. And God back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 22 started this whole thing and he's writer, director, he's, he's the lead character, right? He's the lead role. Uh, this is God's plan. This is his project. And he's been talking about it for 400 years. And now he's back on the scene and he's doing, he's doing the press tour and he's telling everyone about it and he has his guy. He's got his main marketing guy up front. This is what's, what's going to happen and this is what you're going to see and this is who I am. And this is why it's going to be successful. And, and he keeps talking and, and, People are excited. They bow down and worship. Moses is excited, and then things get worse. I'm like, well, where is this thing? Why? What's, what's the delay? And finally, God's like, here we are. You're about to see the, the trailer for what's to come. right? And then the, the release will be next week, as Scott brings us the, the opening scenes of the judgment of Egypt. 
But here's the, here's the coming through. Here's the, the trailer from God. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in verse 8, When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it might become a serpent. Remember, God gave the miracles. We, we, worship, we, we were spending time in the word worshiping God for his great works. And some of his works were these signs that he gave to Moses and to Aaron. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Pretty spectacular, right? We talked about the amazing, it's, it's incredible. You, cast, you take a piece of wood, a piece of wood, a stick, you throw it down, it becomes a serpent. God's showing he has power over creation. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. So that kind of took the air out of the room, right? Moses and Aaron, ready to go. We're we're obeying you, Lord. Here we go. Down. He wants to see a miracle. We, We showed. And by their secret arts, these magicians and sorcerers did the same thing. And can you, I just, I just would love to see the, the face of Moses and Aaron at that, like, like, uh, no. I think we have the other one, the leprosy. But what, like, what, what do I do now? And they're probably thinking, how do I fix this? How do I solve this? Am I a failure? Did I not do the stick right? I don't know. Like, what happened? Did I throw it? What's going on? Immediately, God shows himself faithful. It says, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's staff, can you imagine that? So the, Moses and Aaron's staff is a snake, and then all these other, I don't know how many there were, and then suddenly the snake just goes over and just goes to town and just swallows up. That would be disgusting, first of all, but it would be really interesting to see. This is the battle, right? And, and now the magicians and sorcerers are probably like, uh-oh, like, what, what do we do now, right? This never happened to us before either. This is, a, this is just a preview of what's to come. God has power, and God's going to swallow them up no matter what they do. And we see the same words being used later after the Red Sea, after God swallows up their enemy finally and completely. God is the one in control. He's the one who wins, not Pharaoh. God is the true God. He is Lord. He is Yahweh. He's the great I am. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He wouldn't listen to them just as the Lord said. And next week we'll look at the plagues and the judgments. As we close, we'll have a, also a preview of things to come from chapter 15, post-judgment. Remember that the people have been in affliction. They've been crying out to God 400 years. They get this hope. They bow down. They worship. They are crushed under oppression and persecution. They wonder, where is this God? Moses says, you haven't delivered anyone at all. If they would just wait, if they would just remain faithful and trust. But God is so gracious. He's going to show them who he is. And after the fact, listen to the words, and just, you can close your Bible, just listen to the words of Moses and the people of Israel, what they sang to the Lord after he came through, after he showed them, after the, that now they know who he is, because he does what he says. He made a promise, he kept it. 
Listen to these words as we close. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider, the chariots, he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. See how they're getting to know their God? This is my God. This is my Father's God. This is who he is. He's amazing. Look at, look at what he did. I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he casts into the sea. Remember, they're singing this. I can't sing anything. I would never want to sing this. This is really, they're just singing this thing out. They can't help. This is an outpouring of gratitude and of praise from their hearts because they know who this God is now. Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts he casts into the sea and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. These people have heard, they tremble, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Felicia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed, trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Everyone knows who he is now. All the nations know who he is now. Terror and dread fall upon them because of your greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone. They just stand there. They can't do anything. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for showing us more of yourself this morning through your word, through this narrative, this story in Exodus, this amazing story of your power and of your might. And and Lord, as, as, as we stand here in awe of you, our God, our King, the great I Am, You are omniscient, you are all-knowing, Lord. You are omnipotent, you are all-powerful. You are everywhere at the same time. You inhabit eternity. 
and you are good, and you are righteous, and you are just, and you are holy. Everything you do is perfect. Father, help us as your people to bring you glory by being ambassadors for Jesus Christ, representing you, our King, well in this world. Lord, I also pray that we would walk away today refreshed with great hope that although the world continues to crumble around us, uncertainty ensues, Lord. There's instability. We don't know what's going to happen the next day. Those in power, they keep taking more and more. They keep fighting more and more. The unrest socially, relationally, politically, it's overwhelming. We are tired, Lord. We feel like we're caught sometimes in the middle of it. And, and when we speak your name, there's hostility many times, and we are discouraged. Father, encourage us now by your word. We are successful when we are faithful to you. Help us to speak boldly. You made our mouths. You gave us words. Help us to step forward, to speak truth, to give words of life in this world that needs it. Ultimately, Lord, though, encourage our hearts that you are in control of all of this. No matter what the world says, no matter what evil men and evil intents say they're going to do, the waves will cover them. Judgment will come. So, Lord, just as your people waited, Israel waited 400 years for the promise to be fulfilled, for your judgment to come and for you to take your people to their promised home, the promised land. Father, we ask for your help to patiently endure this world until the promise of Christ returning happens, until you come, Lord Jesus, to judge the world and to bring us home. Help our hearts and our minds to be patient and to continue to worship you. And may you receive all the glory for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.